We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up close to the end zone. Olsen! Touchdown! Brian Burns to the house! And it is caught for the touchdown by Moore! And in the foot race, McCaffrey to the end zone! He pounded on three! One, two, three! He pounded! Alright, Panthers fans, welcome to another edition of the Roar Podcast with uh, two people from my particular childhood. Let's go way back. Way back. <laughs> Make it feel old. The voice is still ringing in my head. The king is dead. <laughs> I got a hankering for a hunk of cheese. It's Bill Rosinski and Jim Zoki. How you doing, guys? Uh, John, I'm great. Uh, this is uh, this is a, a pleasure to talk with, uh, with you and the fans, and it's hard to believe it's been... Someone was talking to me the other day about uh, my being the voice of the team, and I go, you know, that was almost 17 years ago, 16 years ago, something like that. So it's been a long time, but a lot of great memories, including with uh, the other guy on the screen here. Yeah, Bill, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you've been doing for the last 17 years. I want to catch up and see <laughs> what you've been doing, because I never speak to you. And um, John, that, thanks for reminding us that when you listened to us as a child. When your dad said he listened to us as, chi- as a child, that was bothersome. <laughs> I can't confirm that. I can't confirm. I just turned 40, so maybe that'll make you feel even better. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> Not much, yeah. Right. But, guys, listen, uh, we talked to Eugene Robinson uh, earlier and, and, and just another <laughs> outstanding um, individual uh, as well as just one of the best analysts I've ever heard, and I'm a little biased, but talk about Eugene for a minute. I guess, uh, Bill, you first. The, the, the opportunity to work with a former safety in the league who had so much energy and passion – cared about this team so much. And some of the key calls you had, and, and Jim, you as well, Eugene was right there in the middle with some of his signature moments. What was Eugene like, not only as a man, obviously, but, but as a broadcaster working with? Uh, Eugene was uh, great to work with. You mentioned his enthusiasm. And he had some big shoes to fill because the first seven years Jim and I worked together, it was with Roman Gabriel. Yep. And Roman was great. He came at it with the quarterback eye when he analyzed a game and he was Roman Gabriel. <laughs> I go, I used to watch you on TV when I was a kid <laughs> playing at the Coliseum. Yeah. So that, that was really special. And then Eugene came in, Roman left. It was pretty quickly. I mean, we didn't know he was leaving until what Jim might've been June, July that year. I think something uh, going into uh, 2000, 
what was it one, I guess. Yeah, these things happen quickly in our business. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, and Eugene came in, and uh, I will never forget that we were doing an early game. I think we were in Tampa. And, uh, you know, he's he's there in the booth, and Jim and I are there. It was, something was going to happen. Uh, we, we were on defense, and all of a sudden, Eugene jumps up. He starts yelling out of the press box trying to get Mike Minner's attention because, <laughs> because he – he saw what was coming, and he's yelling at Mike Minner, and I'm going, Eugene, he can't hear you up here. And, and I think the enthusiasm and the fact yeah. that he had just retired, that, oh, that yeah. was the big yeah. thing. The juices you know, were still had, flowing, Bill. The juices were yeah. still flowing. Yeah. No doubt. And he had been a Panther, so uh, a lot of that went into it. Jimmy, thoughts on Eugene? Not a, not a one. No, Eugene, but... <laughs> And we still see Eugene all the time because we see him on Panther Talk every Monday night during the season, which just ended last week, and Sunday with the post-game wrap-up show. And he'll sit in the booth with me as we, we, we do the games uh, on Sundays, even just hanging out. We'll talk during the commercial breaks and things like that. But just what the fans heard was genuine. His enthusiasm level for the game, uh, for being a Panther fan, having played for you know several different organizations, only played one year here at the end of his career with the Panthers. I mean, he, he bleeds the black and blue when he's a Panther fan. And it was a yeah a, a different kind of cat than Roman. You know, Roman was kind of like having Joe Namath. I mean, it was like having yes. this bigger than life. Been on Gilligan's Island, uh, John Wayne movie. <laughs> I mean, Bill would say we'll, we'll go on road trips. We'd be having dinner, and I, I lost count of the number of uh, parents that would walk up with their baby Gabe or their baby Roman or <laughs> whatever. I mean, from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. from L.A. Uh, and, and then with Eugene, I mean, it's just like he was just like recently retired at that time, as, as Bill said. So you got that that current player's perspective as opposed to uh, the older stories. They're both great, but it was just a it was just a different feel and a vibe. And we actually had to tone Eugene down because of his enthusiasm, not just yelling at Mike Minner, uh, but just throughout <laughs> the game because he just was vocal and, and you heard that passion. But, you know. Over, a lot of enthusiasm, but when you listen to both those guys, but just, since we're talking about Eugene, just his knowledge of the game. I mean, I still enjoy so much doing Panther talk and things like that with him. You learn so much just by spending some time with him. Absolutely. We talked about that earlier in our conversation. You guys will hear that uh, in this very show later on. Uh, just the point I made to him is the last word on, on Eugene. Sorry, Eugene. we got to move on here. Uh, Eugene was so energetic, and, and it was so genuine. You know, I, I think that's what made people – buy into it. But but also, he would take those six, seven seconds after and explain why the safety was out of position or why the quarterback missed the seven route. He was always very good, sort of like Romo before his time in a way, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the three of you guys were, were just outstanding. And, and Roman, too. I'm glad you brought that up. That That's a perfect segue into 1995. Okay, so let me tell you where I'm at in 1995. I'm a freshman at J.L. Mann High School in Greenville. And the San Francisco 49ers, as per their usual you know, routine would come to high schools and practice. So I turn around and I, I see John Taylor and, uh, you know, who else? Uh, Brent Jones, Steve Young. And I was mesmerized by the NFL game at that point, And that was the entry portal into my Panthers fandom and NFL fandom. Uh, that 95 season, guys, in Clemson, the dynamics of having to travel and I, the, the training camp being really, you know, tricky in a first year. But at the same time, Bill, you can speak to this. We talked about it. The, the, the franchise they were to build with the track was an experienced one, and they were ready to win right away. Just your takeaway from that 95 season, not only as a team, but, but calling those first games of the Frank Reich you know, era, just uh, how, how special was that to be the first college? <laughs> There's Jim with the goods, man. 
Always. Look how thick yeah. that was. This is the oh, first yeah, year. Oh, people have no like reporters notebooks. Are Where's the Paul Butcher page? Get to that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Psycho Butcher. I'll, go ahead, go ahead, Bill. I'll look it up. Give me a Tommy Barnhart yeah. scouting report. Bill, what was that like calling some of those great plays, feeling that Sam Mills uh, Jets interception? Well, it was. Uh, let me start with uh, just the training camp that year in Spartanburg, and this was like six weeks. This was, and it was a hundred degrees every day, two a days most of the time, as they were trying to weed through all these guys who were trying to make this football team. And then we went to the Hall of Fame game to play that very first football game, uh, playing Jacksonville, the other expansion team. And even though Bill Polian to this day will tell you it was not a big deal to beat Jacksonville. It was a big deal uh, to, to go there and win that game and, and get things going. I don't know if we knew. I, I will tell you a story. I was after we'd gone through a couple of uh, preseason games, mm-hmm. and I was on the air on WBT, and someone asked me about what I thought the Panthers would be that year, and I said, you know, uh, coming from Atlanta, I was the voice of the Falcons for three years before That's I right. came to Charlotte, and I said, you know, I think this team can win six, seven games this year. So I'm at practice the next day, and Mike McCormick, who was the team president at the time, Hall of Famer, walks up to me and he says, hey, I heard you on the radio yesterday. How can you tell anybody that this team has a chance to win six or seven games? Yeah. And he wasn't happy. Yeah, and sure. I, said, I said, this is what, uh, you know, this is what I think will happen. And lo and behold, after that right. awful start, yeah. uh, they were actually talking playoffs, maybe with three weeks to go in the season. I remember it, yes. Yeah. And, they, Bill, they beat the gym, too. They beat some good teams. They beat New England on the road. They beat uh, – and, and New England was a little off that year, but still it's a, a very well-coached team. Uh, they beat John, uh, Jim Harbaugh, uh, I believe, at home, right? The Colts, they, they took it to the woodshed. And, uh, of course, down the stretch, they beat, had that dramatic game against Atlanta. Uh, and I just – was very impressed by, you know, not only the, the contributions from the veterans there, but just how well they played as a team. I thought that was a great coaching job by Dom Capers. Uh, Jim, what, um, what impact did Sam Mills have on that team and then the one following? I'm sure we all know the story, but was he as advertised as far as being the rock? Yeah, I think he had about 130 tackles that first year. I have to look at my media guide, but he, he led the team in tackles and uh, it was just the heart and soul of the team immediately. I, I will always remember, Bill, that game at Clemson where they won. You know, they lost their first five, beat the Jets, and the, 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 the shovel pass that he intercepted and took down to the two-yard line. I mean, that's like one of those plays that just like stays in your memory if you were there or, or listening or watching, but I still remember it like it did happen yesterday. But yeah, Sam, just from day one, was the leader of that team. I remember that season as being 21 road trips since we didn't have a home stadium. <laughs> they were building Erickson Stadium, now Bank of America Stadium. And then for those who don't know, that's a hike from, from Charlotte uh, to Clemson. That is a that is an extra hike. <laughs> and the, the DOT did us no favors. I mean, there were <laughs> – Hey, did that South Carolina now? Up and down the road. You couldn't get in and out <laughs> on a Sunday for, for a game down there to get back oh, to really? Charlotte. So that was they, – they, They've cleaned that mess, up a little. But um, we stayed in Greenville. We had some oh. radio – I'm glad that happened. Yeah, they yeah. um they had a hotel for us in Greenville, and so we would stay in Greenville. Go what down hotel Greenville was that? Well, I'm a Greenville native. What hotel did they have you? I think you it was a, I think it was the Sheraton. Was it the Sheraton? I think Bill. We had a deal with Capital. Yeah, or, something like that. And it, was it was funny Capital because the, you know the first uh, couple of games, I would stay at that hotel, but then Dom Capers wanted to do his pregame interview the morning of the game, so I had to get up. 
and my family was with me. I was still living in Atlanta that first year. So while Jim and everybody else was battling traffic to get back to Charlotte, I would be down in Atlanta, another two hour trip to my home. We never moved until the following year, but, uh, you know, uh, that that was a, uh, a a fun time with the with this football team, yeah. and uh, you know I, I it was an incredible season. The win over Atlanta late, John, you mentioned that Falcons could get in the playoffs. Yeah, they were spoilers. Uh, yeah, and, 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 and as it turned out, they would beat the 49ers the next week to get in the playoffs. But that was that was that was a huge thing. But it was, and I uh, just, from a, yeah, I know some players were missing from the 49ers that that year. I believe. Kerry Conklin was playing quarterback at one point, if I remember the name right, in 95. Um, not Kerry Collins, Kerry Conklin. That was the name. <laughs> but it's still a win against the 49ers in their house. I played that clip from you guys before, the call you had on NFL Films. Oh, what a win that was. And then let's go to 96, the next season. How important was it for this team with Steve Berline at the helm? You know, the week one win against Jeff George, we knew that was probably coming. But then they take down the 49ers and just demolish them, and then the rest of the season follows suit. Uh, did, did that game serve as a catalyst in your mind, Bill? Well, I think building off what happened in 95, and then I still this, I call this the best free agent class ever. They brought in Wesley Walls, Steve Berline, Eric Davis, and Kevin Green. Kevin Green, yeah. Now you talk about uh, everybody on that list contributed to the team that year. Berline wasn't the starter, but he had to come in and bail carry out a few times when he got hurt. Uh, Green's impact, joining Lamar Lathan. Of course, you had Sam. And uh, Eric Davis, I mean, his interception record held for a long time uh, with, with the football team. So, And then Walls, I remember Jim and I would watch practice because they were still practicing in uh, – while the stadium was going on, they would practice at, uh, at Winthrop. So how is history, how is history coming yeah. around again? Yeah, because right. that's you know they're going to build a new facility down in South Carolina. But they would practice, and I remember seeing Wesley Walls in those practices, Jim, and think to myself, you know what, this guy's going to be a big part of this offense. So that that kind of set the stage for what we, what happened in '96. The current Panthers could use Wesley Walls. We're kind of missing that <laughs> dynamic in the offense right you now. You Steve Berline as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that I mean to go to be able to be twelve and four that second year. Obviously, people remember Jacksonville out of the AFC did the exact same thing, getting to the conference championship games. It was great. It's interesting. It was so exciting. It was so new, and it was fun. But in hindsight, you look back and you think that was the exact wrong way to build a franchise—a yeah. bunch of veteran guys. <laughs> because that bill came to be paid the fourth year of Dom Capers getting fired, going four and twelve. Because and they had to win the last two to get to four and twelve that fourth year. Because you had to uh, cycle through those thirty whatever year olds, and and now you delayed the true rebuilding. You had some draft picks obviously along the way that you were building along, but you can only have so many Sam Mills, Lamar Lathan types that uh, were you know getting into their thirties, and you can't sustain that. Well, we'll talk about the Cowboys game later. I want to get some of your thoughts from a broadcast in on that because it was one of the best radio calls from both of you I've ever heard in my life, and that's completely unbiased. I've listened to a lot of them. Um, but let's talk about, as we continue to go down the timeline here, what happened, Bill? What, in your estimation, and not only with getting older, the team aged, but 97 was a strange year, you know, that they, they started, I think, 2-1, and one, and then – they lost a handful of games after that, and you know they had the preseason stuff with, with with Kerry Collins that I think set them back. And they just they weren't as sharp, they weren't as crisp. And then '98, uh, you know, it all kind of fell apart on these guys. I talked to Luther Broughton all the time, the former tight end, good friend of mine, 
And uh, he said that other than the 2001 season that he was a part of, that 98 year was rough. What, 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 what are some key factors, Bill, just from an observer standpoint and being in the building? Did, what, what happened? Well, let's talk about the players that were not on that 97 team that had a big impact in 96. For one, remember Kevin Green uh, did not come back in 97. He left. In fact, I remember we were, Jim, we were doing that fantasy draft the night that happened, and all the writers were going <laughs> nuts. And this is before Twitter and Facebook and all right. the social media stuff. Uh, they're trying to hunt down the story, and they find out Kevin Green – I think he ended up signing with San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken. That was a double dagger there for his division so, so, rival. Yeah, so so he left. They decided they didn't want Willie Green anymore, and Willie was one of one of the most clutch receivers they had. I'll in never, I will never understand that move, Bill. <laughs> yeah, and then let's keep going. Uh, Mark Carrier, they didn't want him. Let him go. They eventually bring Carrier back because of, of how things uh, so poorly things are going uh, with the receiving core, and Howard Griffith. Howard Griffith was a fullback on that team, and he was a big part of that success with the running game with Anthony Johnson, and they let him go. He ended up uh, winning a that, Super Bowl the very next year with Denver. Oh, hey, hey, Willie. Willie went to Denver. Willie too, he, yeah, exactly. He, he caught one of John Elway's, like, like 50,000-yard passes or something <laughs> like that. So yeah. I think you, you – uh, all those guys leave, and the guys who took their place were not as good – yeah. And then the team got, as Jim said, the team got older, and the result was what happened over the next couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. All right. Jim, uh, it all came to a head with Dom after 98, and the only game, I will say, you talk about knowing your Panthers here, white uh, jersey, silver pants. It's never been done but once here against the Colts. 99 comes around. Here comes George Seifert out of the broadcast booth. Uh, he a lot of talk about some potential – uh, candidates, I think uh, there were a few big names thrown around. George Seifert comes, and, and look, that offense in 1999, Jim, was dynamic. I was at every game. They were, you guys obviously were. They put on a show with Gil Haskell. Um, and some the, the, the catalyst win, I would say, the one win that stands out in your guys' minds, Jim, I'll get your take first, is the, the Burline quarterback draw that took about 27 years to develop. <laughs> but needless to say, it worked. Uh, Jimmy, what special moment that was. In Panthers lore, still to this day. Bronco Burline. I mean, um, it's, it's <laughs> funny. I've done, and Bill has done too, and heard the story before, like the luncheons and touchdown clubs and those things where Steve will tell that story. And the story's now become basically a made-for-TV movie like Rudy, where it takes like an hour to get through the story. <laughs> but he comes to the huddle, and nobody believes this is the play call that they're going to run, but that's what they came up with. And, uh, and it worked. Yeah, the Bronco Burline surprise quarterback draw to win at Lambo at, at Green Bay. And, and people do forget those first two years, the Panthers were very competitive, 7-9, and 8-8 eight and eight records before the 1-15 and 15 collapse with the whole quarterback change out of Burline. In, in that third year um, that was coming off the end of the whole Dom Capers era there. So it was kind of thinking, okay, we've got this Super Bowl multi-time champion, George Seifert. Uh, he's going to lead us to the promised land. Let's go big uh, with that coaching hiring. And again, it worked for a while. People forget that that was a very exciting offense, but uh, it was, uh, again, just one of those things where it kind of imploded in a short period of time. That third year when he made that quarterback change to Jeff Lewis, who never even got out of training camp, had to put Chris Winkie in there as a rookie. And, and George, I don't know why, George, George I, I really to this day do not know exactly what George's problem was with Burline in year three or what he saw in Jeff Lewis and Chris Winkie. But, I mean, that whole thing sunk, sunk the ship. Yeah, Bill, I know you've got some thoughts on 0-1-2, but I'm going to save you the, the tragedy and we're going to move on to better days, which is the, 
the great John Fox, the, the, the old uh, silver bullet comes to town from New York and gets the job. And I, I think a lot of people before Twitter, Twitter would have exploded on that. How can you, a uh, defensive coordinator, got to hire an offensive coach? I think Fox was the perfect coach at the perfect time for that team. Uh, sort of a uh, – he reminded me a lot of Bill Parcells by, by his looks, but also by his toughness, his mentality. What were your first impressions, Bill, of, of John Fox when you got to know him in that 2002 season? He was, uh, he was a no-nonsense guy, and uh, as you said, he was a defensive coach, and he actually challenged the Panthers. You know, he told me – he said, you know, that 1-15 team that I inherited was probably a 6- or 7-win team. Because if you remember that 2001 season, I don't know how many times the Panthers had the lead in the fourth quarter, yeah. or they were tied, or all, it just stopped the other team. It was zany. Yeah, as George would say, it was zany. And so Fox comes in, and remember that first year. Now I will give. Let's give uh, Seifert credit for this. His going away gift was that draft class in 2000. Oh boy, yeah, I'm glad you said that. Dan Morgan, Chris Jenkins, Steve Smith. Maybe okay. the best draft in, in franchise history when you look at it. Yeah, yeah. So he leaves those guys. So then Fox comes in. They draft Peppers. Jack Del Rio was the defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And they won their first three games that year. They did. Yeah. And they had that big one over Baltimore to start the season. And I'll, I'll never forget. I, I think it was Morgan. T- Peppers tipped it. And Morgan intercepted the pass. It kind of sealed the win. I remember Del Rio coming off the bench and, like, you know, just jumping into the two guys. And I said, there's the two number one picks the last two years making the play uh, for this team. And it wasn't all great that first year. As Jim remembers, uh, you know, they, they won their first three. But then, you know, the uh, 2001 reared its head again where they'd be competitive and lose. Then they had a win in Cleveland. And uh, I still have the guy. I should have brought the game, the game balls up on the thing here. Uh, John Fox gave everybody game ball balls from that win in Cleveland. Uh, and that's not a, they, they finished strong setting up 2003. Yeah, I, I thought just from an observer standpoint, again, I'm not where you guys are from a perspective there, but it, just as a, a young guy who was a fan and really took a great deal of interest in their development, looking back, that Cleveland win, I think, was huge for 2003. A lot of folks try to say, well, late season wins don't matter, tank for Trevor, all this stuff. Well, <laughs> get into a locker room, guys. You talk to enough players. You guys have done this a lot more than me. They're trying to put their best tape out there. And I thought that Cleveland game against a very good team was outstanding. And then, was it two, three weeks later, in New Orleans, knocking them out of the playoffs. Um, I just thought those, those two games, Jim, were, were instrumental in getting them – I hate the word momentum maybe, but it was a good carryover effect, no doubt. No, it's, it's a launch pad, and um, that, I think those were the building blocks of what was to come with this franchise. I think we saw that with Ron Rivera, not to skip ahead, when they finished – Seven, eight, and one barely win a division. The next year they go fifteen and one because they win a playoff game out of that. So I, I do believe I only say both of those together as we head into this off season. I think it was important to to get a win against Washington at the end for this year and kind of move forward with at least not a huge losing streak to begin this season because history is an ind- indicator of what's happened in the past with that. But you know, John was a good coach. He was here for nine years, took you to a Super Bowl. I think him and Ron's careers were very parallel in a lot of ways when you kind of look at the the whole ride of those nine years. They both went to a Super Bowl, didn't win it, uh, kind of built their teams up and, and were mostly mediocre, but had some really good years that they kind of lived off of as far as playoff-wise. So yeah, I think John, John was a solid coach and, and certainly uh, should, should be remembered as being a good coach here. I know he takes a lot of heat for his little sayings 
is it is what it is and all those other things. But uh, more games are lost than won. The list goes on and on. But uh, he, he was a good coach here. You're picking a good day to have a good day today, Jim. I'm proud of you. <laughs> the list goes on and on. Hey, talk to personnel. I can go all day with this. Um, I wasn't even there. Um, so, you know, we gotta, we, we're going to do 2003 here, and then I promise you guys we're off the Fox thing because this is the year. I think especially for you, Bill, that stands out in terms of, at least from my view as a, as a broadcaster looking back. I said this to Eugene. One of the great things about this league is radio broadcast, good ones, that capture these moments because they live in infamy on NFL films. They log these plays. They go in the vault. And I, I am a sucker for those moments. And some of your calls that season, Jimmy, you as well, um, the, the Tampa game at home, that, I still say that's one of my favorite games I've ever attended where, you know, Simeon Rice guaranteed a win, Warren Sapp's running his mouth, the Carolina Prowlers out there uh, in the stands, this fan taunting uh, Simeon Rice in the third quarter, and then they make their comeback. And then lo and behold, Jake DeLome and Steve Smith, uh, with five different receivers, by the way, drive the length of the field against the best defense in the league and win. But there's one win, Bill, that you said was the catalyst in 2003, and it wasn't a Tampa win. It was a road win in Indy. Yeah, you know, we went to Indianapolis, and we were undefeated, and so were the Colts. And they had Peyton Manning, and they were a really good football team. And the Panthers ended up winning that game. I think Stephen Davis got hurt in that game, and Deshaun Foster came off the bench. And Deshaun was a big part of the running game as well. And uh, they ended up winning that game in overtime. And I think that was the catalyst. That, that proved to me that, you know, the opener against Jacksonville, DeLone comes off the bench in the second half, and you're wondering, well, was this a one-hit wonder with Jake? Nobody knew anything about him. They block an extra point. The force overtime in Tampa. There's so was, many. Yeah, I, we don't yeah. have enough time. That's the thing. Right. We needed to do a whole 30 minutes on 2003. <laughs> and they're still alive. All your, I can just hear it in my head. They blocked the field goal. It's all in right. Bill's book. Just read the book. Let's get a plug in for book. the book. At the end I should have brought that along, too. I don't know what I'm doing. I got it out here somewhere. Just read the book. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if people can see our names on here. I am not Jane, but Jane's got <laughs> Jane's respond. Jane's on a lot more Zoom calls than I am. So we know, anyway, we know who's running the house. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I digress. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the Indianapolis win was the one that I think proved not only to me and maybe Jim as well, but the team itself. You know what? We're pretty darn good. We got a quarterback here who can win on the road. And then, you know, you go through that season. I think they were 8-2 and two at one point. They went on a three-game losing streak, including that fiasco in Atlanta, the Mike Vick return oh. game, where I am convinced to this day. I was an ESPN game. Yeah, uh, Wasn't it a Sunday night? Yeah. And uh, I am convinced to this day that had the Panthers won, they would have clinched the NFC South, but ESPN would have never mentioned it because Vick was so good. But they ended up clinching the next week. But, that, yeah, the, the, the Colts game said a lot about that team. Yeah, Joe Theismann would have uh, found a way to make it all about Michael Vick's exceptional performance instead of uh, Carolina's win, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Jimmy, the, the wild card game, I know you remember this one. The, I, I call it the perfect game, probably the most perfect game this team has ever played in a big spot, maybe with the exception of that uh, NFC title game in 15 or the, the wild card in 05. I mean, those were great games, but this game, no penalties, no turnovers. Bill, you were there. Jimmy, you were there. Jim, your perspective first on what – uh, an infusion that was. I was there that night. We were staying at the West and downtown was like, I've never seen it before. What did that do to, to create a culture with this fan base? 
No, I think that's that's where you build it. I think it's where postseason really builds a fan base. I mean, you can have great regular season moments. We've covered a lot of those there, but where you really get your your battle stripes as a fan, I think, is is earned by postseason, whether it's win or lose. And those are those moments that, that make history or those games that clinch it. I mean, I still think about Bill going back to 96, Chad Cota with that interception against Pittsburgh to, to clinch that one there. So those moments that are either playoff or playoff-like that get you into the postseason and clinch it, I think those are the moments that are great. And, and you just think about that, that team that went to Super Bowl 38. They were the underdog every step along the way I mean those Rams that Rams team was one of the most explosive teams in the history of football greatest show on turf and to to beat them and to go into Philadelphia and physically dominate an Eagles team that had been through those tough playoff losses year in and year out uh, that was a whole different vibe than Super Bowl 50 Super Bowl 38 we were not surprised but we were the, the underdog not expected to win nationally in each and every contest during that run to the Super Bowl that almost beat the Patriots obviously right. in Super Bowl 38 to cap it all off that that team Belichick had the game tape in advance too so that always helped <laughs> probably the little bit of difference that made it made it happen wow what a career Marty had um so here here's where I want to go with this now we'll jump straight into this Super Bowl but uh I, I have to do one thing with with Bill here yes Carolina there is a Super Bowl and we're in it now, is this something we're planning out in advance? Now, because I've read the book, a lot of folks have, and help our folks understand, one of the best calls in this team history. Um, uh, it was, was, that, was, that, was that off the cuff, or was that something you had ready, like a Jim Nance? Like, I've got this one in the chamber, and we're going to fire it up. <laughs> uh, that is correct. Um, I sat there that night. It was just Charlotte. There is a Super Bowl. The yep. only reason I didn't say Carolina was because oh, I, I said I said Carolina. Sorry, man. Yeah, that's okay. But the, I'm glad you said that because the reason I didn't say Carolina, uh, first of all, it'd be bad English. You hate South Carolina. Just go ahead and say yeah. it. You don't like us down here, <laughs> and you all are all the same way. But the, uh, the reason I said Charlotte is our broadcast at that point was only on the flagship station in Charlotte. All the other stations around the Carolinas would have to carry the Westwood One broadcast. Okay. So our broadcast was just on in Charlotte. That's a good so, technical nugget. I did not know that. So I, I thought about it that day because we were the second game. Patriots had already won, and I'm in the hotel. I'm going, God, if we win, we were 1-15 two years ago. Crazy. I said, i got to say something. And then, you know, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus, all that stuff. So I, I thought to myself, yes, Charlotte, there is a Super Bowl, and we're in it. And I just put it in the back of my mind. And then, you know, it was, you know, DeLone was just going to take a knee. And, and wrap it up, and that, that's, when, that's when I said that, and I followed up with, uh, you know, the, the one in 15 two years ago and what this meant for the, for the franchise and the city. And so, yeah, it was probably the one time that I, I thought of something that I might say at the end of a game, and actually I ended up saying it. And, John, I want you to know I've never once written down a line. Every one of them's organic. I did not write down, <laughs> I got a hankering for a hunk of cheese. Those were all just off the top of my head every time. And that's Can I get an amen, brother? <laughs> yeah, and that one too. <laughs> Thanks for posting that one again. Yeah, <laughs> always. I always love finding your hits. Um, so the Super Bowl. I mean, let's let's touch on that. And we can get into some more uh, dynamic conversation here as we, as we wrap up because I know you guys are short on time here. That Super Bowl. I mean, they take me through it. You know, the atmosphere, the excitement. Obviously, just as a broadcaster, but also as a as a fan in in many ways, and and the excitement of a very young franchise still going against what was uh, eventually going to be a dynasty in New England. Take me in that moment, uh, Jim, as a, as a broadcaster yourself, a, a fairly, uh, you know, 
I don't want to say young one, but at the time, these Panthers were only, what, uh, eight years old at that time? I mean, this is that's, – that's heavy stuff right there. What was that week like for you? Was it surreal as it, I would imagine it would be? It was surreal in the standpoint of being young, but also, as I said earlier, I mean, this wasn't a team that was like a Super Bowl favorite, like Super Bowl 50, where the Panthers roll on teams through the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl. You know, every week was just a, an upset and a surprise to, to even get there. So I thought, to me, it was just great. I'd never been to a Super Bowl before, so let alone Super Bowl wow. week, so the whole media week and all that. Bill, remember just you know being a part of the broadcast. I mean, just getting credentialed, getting all the things you need as a broadcaster, it, yeah. was, it was difficult. It could be hard. <laughs> yeah, we and I was doing shows every day, uh, twice a day, broadcasting for the hotel with anyone you can grab, players, staff, fans, whoever you could get, uh, trying to fill content because this is the first time, obviously, Super Bowl for this uh, this region. So as a broadcaster, as a worker, it was it was uh, eight days of you know love doing your job, but uh, hard work. And by the time you finally got to the game, it's like oh, we're at the Super Bowl, <laughs> and then we get there, and uh, it's such a flat first half offensively. It was oh, yeah. not. Uh, any, it was 10 to 3, whatever it was. A very, was it, uh, just a quickly, was it as quiet as it sounded on the CBS feed? It sounded like a high school game. Yeah, the first quarter where they started so late, it just sounded dead. The crowd, and Super Bowl crowds can be that way, but that, I guess to your point, that first quarter on, on CBS, it wasn't Gumbel's fault. It, the, the audio was just really dead. It sounded like you could hear cheerleaders in the background cheering in the middle of the play. I don't know. We were working, so I don't know uh, what it sounded like on, on TV. I'll tell you real quick and let Bill chime in, but I didn't, we, we didn't know. I don't think Bill knew either. We didn't know what the Janet Jackson thing was until we got on the bus after the game. We had absolutely no idea because we're up in the, the rafters calling the game. People were talking about the Janet Jackson thing. They were like, wait, they did what at halftime of, of the Super Bowl? But, uh, yeah, it was uh, obviously by the time we got to the fourth quarter, the Panthers scored three touchdowns and almost made an incredible comeback to win it. It was a great finish and a great game at the end, but that first half was, was really slow. Uh, Bill, did you think Carolina had a chance to go down to the wire against New England in that game, realistically? Yeah, I, I thought so because uh, we were underdogs every week, as you mentioned. I remember when we were in Philly, I had some writer come up to me, found out I was the voice of the team, and he said, do you think you guys really have a chance tonight? I was like going, have you been watching this team? Do you have any Look idea? Look at Bill bringing out the receipts. I love it. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So, yeah, okay. I, I, I definitely thought two, two things I remember about Super Bowl week. One, the Patriots were staying in a great part of town at a nice hotel. Uh, the Panthers were at a mediocre hotel in a lousy section of Houston, and they told us not to go out alone at night. The so section why, was called would... Greenpoint. It was called Greenpoint. They called it Gunpoint was its nickname. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so that's what I remember, one, about that. The whole week went by for me really quickly. It's kind of like a blur. Yeah. And the other thing, I, I, I tell this story every once in a while. Uh, it's, it's media day. And uh, my wife, who is my statistician, she and I are Jane, down. by the way, Jane, I see her on Twitter. I, I marvel at the work she does. She keeps you afloat, Bill. Yes, yes. Uh, I keep her financially afloat. She keeps <laughs> so, I anyway. I've had this conversation before. So, <laughs> Have fun tonight, Bill. <laughs> so, you know, we're down on the field. The, the Panther, uh, the, the uh, media day had ended. And there's a bunch of reporters huddled around Jerry Richardson, who was sitting up in the grant in the stands hmm. and the players are down in the field. So they're, they're kind of breaking things up. They're going to take a team picture or something. So uh, I, I, I'm standing there with Jane. I go, look, there's uh, there's Jerry. He's really basking in the glory. Cause remember he had predicted that the Panthers would, uh, I think he'd win a Super Bowl in the first 10 years. Yeah. 
So this was year nine, so this, this could come true. So it breaks up. He starts walking down the steps, and he comes out, and he sees us, and he walks over to us. And he says, hey, you guys enjoying the week? And I said, yes, sir. We're, this, this is great. This is, uh, this is something else. And he looks at us, and he says, do you guys have dinner plans tonight? And I said, I don't even know if we did or not, but I'm looking at Jane and go, well, no, no, we don't have dinner plans. He goes, well, Rosalind, that's his wife, Rosalind and I are having dinner with Bob Kraft and his wife. And he turned and left. And I'm like, <laughs> what? You're kidding me. No, no, no. That's uh, it's a true story. That's um, right out of Curb Your Enthusiasm. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that story. So yeah, he's basically so, just, he's, he's humble bragging to you. I'm, I'm going out with yeah, crap. Yeah, well, we'll see I'm you later. Well, you thought you were Through you. Well, how'd that uh, whole Robert Kraft thing turn out in hindsight? Not so good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> don't rub it in. So, oh, yeah, but, but as far as the game is concerned, as Jim said, the, the, the first and third quarters were snoozers. And the second and fourth quarters, it was like somebody flipped a switch. Oh, it was amazing. And these guys came out and played. Yeah, the Moose, still the longest touchdown pass in Super Bowl history. Ricky Prohl with that great catch. I always thought to this day, Fox went for two two points too early in that game. And I think if they would have just kicked extra points like they should have, if you do the math, that field goal that Vinatieri kicks would have been to tie the game, not win it for the Patriots. Oh, be careful, was. Bill, on Twitter. You know, people are going to start coming after you. No, look, I'm going to tell you this right now. I agree with that decision that um, you're talking about. I don't think it was the right call at that time. It's, they're still very early in that game. You get all the momentum back. Deshaun makes the big run in which he plows through Steve Smith, by the way, to get there and with the iconic dive. And I think at that point you take the one and keep going. But – I don't know. I mean, they, they, I don't like the play call they ran. Obviously, a fade to Dyson, I think it was. It wasn't exactly their bread and butter. But um, what a heartbreaker at the end, though. And then, you know, the, the image I remember from that game, Bill, because I didn't hear the radio call until the NFL film stuff uh, was released. But And that was outstanding. Your calls and Jim as well. It was just uh, epic stuff. But the, 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 the Jake DeLome shot of him on the field, just staring at the Patriots celebrating and looking – Heartbroken. You could see right when the kick goes through, also CBS cuts to the sidelines and Fox is doing his usual chomping the Nicorette or whatever he's chewing on and just like shaking his head. And that team had come so far. I think they were just stunned that they could lose a close game. I really do. Yeah, you're right. And I think uh, the fact that uh, that season had been one of comebacks, overtime wins, blocking extra points to force OTs, that whole thing we just, you know, the, the, the whole season we talked about and how great they were. I, I'm i sure they thought when, when Ricky Pearl caught that touchdown pass, we kicked the extra point, hey, we're going to – if we're not going to win this game right, we're going to stop the Patriots, we're going to win this game in overtime. And uh, they were devastated by that. And, uh, you know, Ricky Pearl told me this because I actually worked – Ricky and I did some broadcasting together for ISP Okay, a- after he retired – and Ricky said the worst feeling in the world is being on that field and losing the Super Bowl because they want you out of there. Security comes down because they got they got the confetti ready. They're going to have Ricky. The, Ricky's um, been through this twice now in two in three years with St. Louis and, and now in Carolina. He's got to be sick yeah. of the stomach. Yeah. So uh, he he told me he said they just want you out of there. It's like nice game, guys. Get to your locker room because we're going to celebrate with the winning team. So just imagine what that's like after, you know, what you go through from training camp to the playoffs to get there. 
Yeah, it's it's a funny business when they want you out of there. And speaking of Jim, why did you get rid of Bill in two thousand four? Story there. What? Why did you have your ego, Jim? I'm telling you, why did you have to get rid of my beloved Bill Rosinski? No, ten years. I just got sick and tired of hearing him. I, I said you're too I, big. You need to go on to national radio again, which he'd been national radio before. But I, I envisioned you as a golf announcer on radio. Is what I was thinking. Of myself. <laughs> I'm glad you did because I didn't. <laughs> Talk about that, Bill. I mean, obviously, I don't want to put you down the road where you feel like you've got to say things you don't want or need to say or haven't said before. But I was, uh, you know, obviously stunned at what happened. You know, I was a fan of yours, and I love Mick, too. So this is not a Eeyore type of thing. But I just, gosh, it just, it's, it, that one hurt me, man. That is a fan of this, and I know a lot of fans agree with me. Your voice was iconic, and then all of a sudden, poof, you're you're gone. I mean, is there anything that you can say to that that might help us understand it a little better? I know there's been some things said before, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. No, uh, two things. Uh, one, I piss the owner off. And if you're going to do that, you, you, you might not be long for this world uh, working for an organization, whether it's a, you know, a Fortune 500 company yeah. or an NFL franchise. And I complained to a writer about not getting an NFC championship get ring the year before, and he took offense to that. Did you get uh, one, Jim? I didn't want one because we lost. It meant more to Bill, <laughs> apparently. The, the Gettleman special. <laughs> so, uh, so there was that, and I also think they thought they were paying me too much money, which is something I'm just assuming at this point. Never been but, an issue for me, so it's never come up in a conversation. <laughs> not me either. 26 years. If anyone so, deserves uh, it, it's Mr. R. So, uh, you know, you put those two things together, and I had, a, I had a suspicion starting in late November that after my contract was up, they weren't going to have me back. I kept praying and hoping that would not be the case. So you didn't want to leave. You wanted to stay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't want to go. I, you know, I, I think, and Jim's been there for all of it, yeah. uh, the fact that you could be there from the, from the birth of a franchise – and we'll watch it mature. And it's like raising kids, you know, then they make mistakes and then you, you're proud of them and then they screw up again. And, uh, you know, so uh, that's, that's cool. I, I, uh, so, you know, they let me go and uh, it was devastating for me. You know, the last thing you want to do is see your name in the newspaper on the headline, the sports section saying you've been fired or on a crawl on a TV screen. Uh, it happened on a Friday. I remember it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, crawl on a TV screen saying uh, Bill Rosinski fired by the Carolina Panthers. And uh, so that was not, that was not good. But I will tell you this. And Jim, Jim mentioned golf. Yeah. Uh, as it turned out, uh, you know, I did a talk show in Charlotte for a couple of years, but then I got back into national play by play. I've worked with Westwood, uh, with Dan Reeves for three years. That was great. Those calls, too. That and was then, outstanding. And then ESPN hired me for 10 years. I was their voice of uh, college football. I did some NFL. It was like, I guess, Jim, because you're the, you're the only guy that you, and is it Harold, that have been there since the beginning? Or is it a trainer? Who's been here since the very beginning? The, the only ones, me, our producer, David Langton, who's Langton, that's it. Back then. And, uh, and 
Don Toner, who's the equipment manager, used to be the assistant equipment manager to Jackie Miles, has been here uh, the whole way. Those are the people that have been to every game. David and I, obviously, that streak of being at every game came to an end because we didn't travel but the two road games this year. But we've worked we've worked every game for 26 years. Um, but, yeah, as Bill said, you, it's a roller coaster. It's up, it's down, and you see people come. I've seen not only coaches and broadcasters go, I've seen the owner get run out of town. So it's, <laughs> you, you stay long enough, you, you get to see everyone. I'll get to see my exit at some point. Hopefully you get to make that oh, choice when on. the day comes. I can't oh. do this anymore. This, I'm going to announce this right now, John. I'm exhausted. I'm just <laughs> – I'm just tired. Go on down and do some Clemson pregame with me, buddy. You, they pay well. Yeah, I want to hang out at Ingles with you at the Clemson tailgate show. I want to do that. Ingles are good people, man. Low prices, love the savings, by the way. Um, <laughs> would you ever consider, uh, Jim, one last question for you. Would, would you want to do play-by-play? Would that entice you if the offer came? I'm sure they've come before. Is that you just ingrained in Charlotte? Do you see yourself as a as a PVP guy? I mean, you've done plenty of it in, in yeah. spot roles and otherwise, but – did, would you want to go down that road? Would you take an offer with like a, a Detroit or Seattle or whoever might need it down there? Well, not Detroit. Not Detroit. But, uh, yeah, I would uh, <laughs> I would absolutely do that. You know, I was down there doing the Clemson-Miami game for a touchdown network. I remember. I was there too. I've done basketball, baseball. I used to do UNC Charlotte, Davidson, done Charlotte Knights. I've done actually national TV on ABC and with Raycom doing – college basketball and things like that. Oh, you're always on. I see you ever across the board. I'm just talking about from, you know, this particular, you know, there's only 32 of these, these mics, these mics in the NFL. Is that something that, that, that itches at you ever? Are you happy where you're at? Yeah, I'm going to keep working. Uh, That's for sure. I got a ways to go, but uh, you know, I would absolutely entertain a play-by-play job as far as being the voice of a team. It wouldn't have to be NFL. Like I said, I think I'm versatile enough to do baseball, to do basketball, to do college. So it doesn't have to be limited to the 32 teams in the NFL. Bill Rosinski, Jim Zoki, guys, thank you so much. I don't know what to say. We did this on short notice, guys, and I, I appreciate y'all making time and being part of this. Um, Bill, one of my favorite calls of all of them, the king is dead. I love it, and I love looking at him. I'll always repost that stuff <laughs> for you, brother. And then the hankering for a hunk of cheese. That's the best one-two punch ever. I'm going to post it here shortly on Twitter. Guys, thanks so much for joining me, man. This was great. Hey, uh, thanks for having us, John. It was great. Yeah, my pleasure. And if you want to Google uh, Clemson at South Carolina 2001, and you will see the TV broadcast with Jim and I on the call. Uh, the chicken curse ended that that <laughs> afternoon. That's right. That's right. We, we could do a show on what went on leading up to that game in our meeting with Lou Holtz. But anyway, if you want that to was see, a trip. <laughs> yeah. And, but if you want to see us together on television, I would like for that. one game, and we, I, you know, I, I, I it right now. Jim, but it was, it was brutal. I mean, that season was nasty, 2001. To go down there and do that college game, and I didn't care who won the game, was so yeah. much fun. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it didn't lead to us onward in TV, but you know, if fans want to get a get a hoot out of that one, they can Google that game. Well, I'll go look for it right now. You know me. I'm a, I'm a weirdo <laughs> about this stuff. We're going to get it out there tonight. Guys, thank you so much. Be well. Be safe out there. And uh, let's please do this again. This is so much fun. Absolutely. Thanks, John. We're joined now by one of our favorites, uh, one of the great defensive backs in the NFL, played with the Packers, played with your Carolina Panthers, folks. And uh, – did some radio for a long time. We're going to talk about that more with Eugene Robinson. How you doing, buddy? 
Hey, John, I'm doing well. How you doing today, sir? Fantastic, man. Couldn't be better. Life is good, and uh, I, I'm just thrilled that you and, and Jim and, and Bill have, have agreed to come on and talk about, I think, something a lot of fans out there have wanted to hear for a long time from you guys. We miss you. We miss the team. We miss the old crew, man. And I love yeah, Nick. No, I know you uh, love him, too. But it's it's been hard, man, but I just, I, I'm, I'm so thankful you made time for us today. Well, the one thing that's unique mm -hmm. about that is that uh, – you, you go into people's living rooms and their homes, and then you become part of the family. You become part of the, the, the lexicon. You become part of everything that goes on Carolina Panthers in their world. And then people get used to get used to that big voice by Bill Rosinski, that big magnanimous voice. And, <laughs> and then the funniness and the clever wittiness of a Jim Zoki. You just get, you get used to that, and you expect it. And you, right. you expect to hear that. Absolutely. You expect to hear some of the cliches and some of the catchphrases. You just do because you we're all for our beloved Carolina Panthers and you end up loving the team. So I, I totally get why people uh, miss that connection because it's a, it's a piece of nostalgia. And the same thing also what, that goes on for Mick Mixon and, and the crew that after, yeah. after Bill left and that bit. And now what's going on now with the other guys? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Eugene, you got to know me a little bit last year during the draft. We worked together on that broadcast, NBC Charlotte. But I'll be honest with you, I haven't had a chance to really get to know you that well. So this is fun. I go way back with this Panthers team as a fan. You know, my, my dad was talking to me about it earlier. You guys in that Cardiac Cats run, you know, it was everything to hear your voice on those NFL Films tracks, man, when they would queue up the weekly tracks. Some of the things you were able to do from an energy perspective, what, what, how do you get that kind of – is that just the inner safety in you channeling his way into the box? It was a contagious thing to hear, Eugene. Yeah, for the most part, like, when I started when, – when David Langton offered me the job and I, I, I attacked it the way I – I and prepared the way I would prepare for a football game. And so I would consume tons of film, watching the quarterback, watching what the, what, what the running back was doing, watching third down, first down, second down. And then as I would have that happen, when it would unfold for me in a football game, I would just go ahead and react based on what, you know, parameters of our defense, where we were. But I would react on, to the stimulus I've seen, but I would react rightly based on what I knew to be right, based on all the things I've studied. And so I brought that same energy because it was part of me of doing that. I had to take control of the secondary, all that defense, and go like this, hey, the ball's coming over to my right. Trust me. You know, watch the trap. <laughs> the, the trap's about to happen. <laughs> I need to to move up. We need to clear force. You know, so, so I'm doing all that rotating back and forth in my mind. When I got in the booth, I wanted to do the exact same thing, but now I got plenty of time to say it. And I can wait for um, – uh, a bill to set it up, do his thing, and I'm going. Oh, this is easy because now <laughs> I give you what I just. I, my the hardest part for me, John, was trying to stop and give you. There were so many things that was happening, but just give you what was what was most important and what was pertinent, and tell you uh, why it happened. Yeah, well, I think you did a great job. I know a, a lot of folks agree with you that <clears throat> your energy level was unbridled. I, I look at it that way too. But you did a good job of balancing, Eugene. I wanted to tell you that during this episode, and something I've always, as a broadcasting nerd, looked at in terms of how these analysts conduct themselves. And some, I think, are pretty milk toast. They don't give a lot of energy, especially with a home team they're covering for. But they do break the game down pretty well. You did a great job of saying, you know, boom, what a hit. Or, you know, just play, just sounding like your old self playing safety back there in the box. 
But then you take that five, six seconds after and explain the, the, the schematics and the dynamics yeah. of what happened. I thought it was great. Is that a challenge for young guys coming into this business as an analyst? You ever talk to these guys and say, you know what, find balance between the high energy and also giving the facts? Well, absolutely, because um, here's the great, the great thing about playing quarterback and playing middle linebacker and free safety is that you got to know everything. So you can be on the line, offensive line, and not know what's going on in the secondary or what's going on even behind you or what's going on with the receivers. You just know what the line play is. But as a quarterback, you better know everything about your offense, <laughs> everything about what's going on with the receivers. You got to chase plays. And as a free safety or the middle linebacker, you got to do the exact same thing. Yeah. So you have this analytical academic side of you that you've studied that you got to be able to communicate um, to your guys, communicate to the coaches, communicate to the fans. And so that's a, you got to have that, but then you got to have the, also the energy, I think, to bring it so that it makes sense because don't forget, nobody wants a boring broadcast. Nobody, nobody wants, wants they that. want you to be hyped <laughs> about their team. This is their team. Yes. And you got to nope. know that. Panther spin on just about everything, even when they make a mistake. Even when you see, oh man, Teddy Bridgewater, he like to have a throwback. You know, one of my favorite things you would do. One of my favorite things you would do. You were very fair. Now, when things were bad, when there was something happening, when Jake would throw a pick, or when when Cam would fumble, something bad would happen. Hey, you gonna call him out? But man, the fans that are listening in the tailgate or in their car or wherever it might be at home. They want to hear an analyst say, that call was terrible by the ref. And it, it really was. I mean, they were calling to Calais Campbell, you know, where yes. he struck Newton's legs. And I remember one call that you were like, where's the flag? Where's the flag? And that's, that's the nature of your job. I just think you captured it so well, Eugene. It was fantastic. Well, thank you very much, John. I appreciate that. And I, I, told, I, I, go, I wear a number of hats in the booth. I wear the hat as an analyst. I wear the hat as a football player, as a coach, as an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and more importantly, as a fan. I put yeah. on that fan hat and go like this. Oh, how would I normally react to seeing LeBron James do a dunk with somebody? Or seeing, <laughs> exactly. How would I react to that? You I have that huge, same man. Reaction. Yeah, yeah, it was it was contagious. And again, <clears throat> one thing I've talked to Bill about over the years, Bill and I've talked quite a bit on, on Twitter and through text, and, and Jim and I are close too. The, the amount of, of NFL film stock footage there is out there with your voice on it, with Jimmy's voice on it, and, and, and dating back to 1995 with, with Billy's voice on it, and now Mick as well, and, and Kurt and Jake and those guys. <clears throat> Man, it's, it, I, I think that's such an overlooked part of the NFL media business and the NFL legacy, Eugene, is the NFL films legacy of these stats or these uh, highlights will go in the vault forever. 20 years from now, we're still pulling up cardiac cats highlights with your voice on it. And I would just think from your perspective, that that would be one of the coolest things about this whole experience. One of the coolest things uh, is Bill Rosinski. He's, he's broadcasting that game. We're down in um, against the, um, the, the Rams, that playoff game that we, oh, yeah. When Ricky Manning Jr. had about two or three interceptions. Yep. But that Excellent. one play, that play with Jake DeLome has that little ghost route to a Steve Steve uh, Steve Smith on the left-hand side. And he, yeah. I think he fakes out uh, – I forget the, the, the defensive back. Um, oh, I forget his name. But <laughs> takes left and it goes right and hits him right in stride. As Bill is talking, I'm yelling in the background, it's over, it's over, it's over. <laughs> I had no idea that, I was even doing that. I yeah. had no idea. That that combination between Rosinski's call 
<laughs> and Zoke was out there. I heard Zoke in the background. Woo! I could hear his yep. voice. And then I heard you. It's over. It's over. And then Bill said, and we are going to the NFC Championship game. That is a brilliant sequence of, again, I'm a broadcast nerd. Some of the fans out there are like, what's this guy talking about? I think you get it, though. That is a brilliant sequence. It was so well coordinated, and it was so easy. Let me ask you this. You know, you, you were a part of a lot of great teams as a player. And then, obviously, <clears throat> you transition into the broadcast booth, and a lot of fellow players do that. And you did it fairly seamlessly, I think. Of all those games, um, you know, X-Clown, the Philly championship game with Deshaun's run, uh, you know, the Super Bowl. I mean, and then you go into the Cam Newton era. What's the one game to you that stands out as, as your most – what's the one game you say, gosh, that was a great time, win or lose? That was so much fun calling that game. That X-Clown play by Steve Smith and, and Jake DeLome, outstanding. You mentioned also the championship game, and I can remember seeing Deshaun Foster run on the right-hand side, and I and the very first thing when I saw him in the backfield, I was like, oh, man, he's going to get stopped for what's the name? And right. then I saw that rumbling, bumbling, 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 <laughs> back and forth, and as he's moving forward, I was like, oh, my goodness. He's going to He's about yep. to eat. He's about to yep. go ahead. It, it went it, – I was literally as as Jim, I mean, as um as Bill was calling the play, I was rising out of my seat because I felt what everybody else felt like. Folks, about to let me say, I, I I do a little bit of a radio on a much lower scale, but I know the play by play biz. There should be a webcam with you guys in every play because <laughs> this was Cleveland when they made yes. the playoffs, and you saw the play by play guy getting up, and, and it's almost over, and Baker's going to go down, and and these I, I think people underestimate the amount of energy. And the amount of focus it takes with, you know, your, your play grids and all the stuff you have to pay attention to and the spotters out there telling you what's going on. It's not just as easy as showing up and saying, oh, here's what happened, here's what happened. No. And then at the perfect moment, you guys, I thought, just crystallized. It, it was, you know, it, I was a fan. I'll be, I, I was a homer. I still am, I'll be honest with you, but I've moved into the analyst world here. But Eugene, man, that run between 03 and 05, and even 04, which was an impressive run given the fact that Smitty was out, how about that 05 team, though, going to Chicago, going to New York, and almost taking it to Seattle in the end when they were out of And almost taking it to Seattle in the end, too. That, yeah. was, a, that was a very, very good, solid team. I mean, oh, so good. a cohesive team. Yeah. But you, to win championships, and I've been a part of a championship with the uh, Green Bay Packers, and we went to the yep. ball uh, with them, and then I went with Atlanta. There has to be a cohesion. There has yeah. to be, everybody has to know their role. Everybody had to know what they're doing, what know their role, and stay in your lane. And in the broadcast booth, it's the same thing. Right. I cannot be Bill Rosinski. I'm not Mick Mixon, and I'm not Jim Zoe. And he, and he can't be you either. He'll tell you that. <laughs> and so what you want to do is uh, Bill and, and, and Mick have to tell you what happened, and then you have to tell you, as a color analyst, we got to tell you why it happened. Right. And you got to be able to go with the why. Why right. did it happen? Did the defensive back fall down? When they're playing cover two and you attack the middle, you cover two, you attack the goal routes on the outside of the corner routes. What, what do you attack? Is it, uh, is it a West Coast offense? Is it the RPO that they're doing right there? Just set the running back up. You were Romo before Romo. Hey, listen, you were Romo before Romo came along in that department. I'm telling you right now, you're going to laugh. But in between the excitement and the hype man stuff you did, which was, of course, in your analyst role, you need to do that as a homer. As a, you got to get that energy. But you would slip in some coverage schematic stuff. You would talk about, you know, cover three versus cover two, where the high yeah. safety is, angles. You know, 
And, and I think fans sometimes would, would, would overlook that and say, you know, Eugene brings a lot of energy, but there was so much substance, too. I, I, I tell you what, I just – you don't hear that's a lot. You don't hear a lot. Hey, John, that's the analytical part of me because I'm a yeah. computer my, – my major is computer science. Yep. Uh, and so that's the computer science of part of me right there that you got to analyze. you got to know the academics. My mentor told me a long time ago, if you don't know where the ball is going, all you, is a, all you are a great athlete running around. Yeah, said, if you don't know right. where the ball is going, you become a great athlete who becomes a better athlete, you become a superb athlete who's going to make plays and change the game. Jeremy Chin, though, I just see so much potential there with his hustle, with his versatility, his coverage is getting better. What kind of player is this? Is he a safety linebacker? Where do they put him ultimately, you think? I would put him immediately, and I asked Coach Rule this, at the safety position. Does, is he a linebacker? I said, I said to Coach Rule, could I see Jeremy Chin in this role like I saw Leroy Butler and Troy Palomalo? Two of the guys who should be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm like, we were able to take Leroy Butler and put him at the line of scrimmage. Yep. And then he's at a linebacker depth. Then he's at safety depth. We utilize him all over the field because he was so dynamic and so, right. and so destructive. Oh, I remember it, yeah. Boy, Palomalo, the same thing. You saw him back. You saw him forward. You saw him everywhere at the line of scrimmage. Jeremy Chen needs to have the same flexibility and latitude because that young man will make plays. He is. What everybody was talking about, Isaiah Simmons, and I'm a big Isaiah Simmons fan, sure. uh, fan from Clemson, but getting Jeremy Chen, I said he is the best steal in the draft. I remember it. We that talked about it. Right yeah. There, you. That, that, that guy is a future, future Hall of Famer. Yep. And the only thing that's going to really change his game, if I had to give him any advice, Jeremy, I used to do this in practice before and after practice. I would catch 100 balls before practice, 100 balls after practice, so that when I got around the football, I didn't have to worry about whether I was going to catch it or not. I just <laughs> caught it. I got 57 – well, actually, I got 62 interceptions. Dude, you can lead the league consecutively just with your ability because you're always around the ball right. to get interceptions. So just catch the ball because, young man, you are a gem, and mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan. Well, there's nobody better to handle that role than, than one Eugene Robinson. One last thing as we wrap up and let you go. Give me an it's over. It's over real quick. I want to hear it. Come on. It's over. It's over. It's <laughs> over. <laughs> yes, and they are going to the NFC championship game. Eugene yes. Robinson, you're the best, man. Thank you, buddy. And Thanks, uh, we'll talk to you down the road, man. Take care, buddy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.